You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. Hebrews chapter 13. This morning's message will conclude our study of Hebrews. How about that? I went back and looked. You know how long we've been in Hebrews? All the way back to last year, October 21st. So it's almost been a year. It's been a fascinating study. By the way, it was mentioned in the, in the video, but I want you to understand next week, obviously, we're starting a new book. That new book is the book of Colossians. And we're going to talk, be talking about the theme, true-false. Now, now take, real quick, take a look at this image again. And I want you to tell me as you look at this image, it's kind of hard to see. What do you see? Do you see true or do you see false? You, you kind of got to look at it, right? So many things in this life purport to be true. Okay? But what is truth? Can, can two totally opposing, diametrically opposed ideas both be right? No. What's one plus one? Two. Two. That's it. Sorry. Only one right answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. That's it. Sorry. He said it. He proved it when he got up from the dead. We're going to talk about what is truth and what is deception, what is false. And we'll be doing that, doing that over the next several weeks. But for today, we're going to finish our study of Hebrews. Now, if you followed along with us, you know that the Apostle Paul has been trying to help this Jewish audience, hence the name Hebrews, to come out of Judaism, to come out of religion and follow not religion, but follow a person. Who? Jesus. You know, you think about why we're in the condition that we are. We needed help. We were singing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need Why do we need Jesus? Because we're sinners. That's right. Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, folks. When you see them in heaven go, what's your problem? No, I'm just, I'm being facetious. But because of Adam and Eve, we're all born sinners. If you got a belly button, you're a sinner. You understand that? And because we're sinners, we cannot come before a holy and righteous God. The only way that we can come to God is if someone would bear the penalty for that sin. You do understand, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we fall so abysmally short that we can never come into His presence. And so we're all doomed, we're all damned to a place called hell without Christ. But He came. But leading up to before He came, there was a system put in place that actually foreshadowed what He would do. That system was this sacrifice of blood by way of animals. And so you have the Old Testament system. You have Judaism. You have a place such as the temple that people went into and out of. They brought their lambs. They brought their bulls. They brought goats and pigeons and grain offerings. And they did the ceremonial washings. They brought these to the priests. They couldn't talk to God, but the priests did it on their behalf. But something changed. Jesus Christ came, and he shed his blood. Look, that's what he did. 
Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the final sacrifice. We don't need bulls. We don't need lambs. We don't need goats anymore. We have the Lamb of God. And Jesus came, and He made the final sacrifice. He is the promised one. He is the Messiah, the one who would come and set things right. No longer do we need a high priest. No longer do we need a temple. No longer do we need animal sacrifices. By the shedding of His blood, we now come to Jesus alone. Now we've made our way to verse 10. Have you found it? Hebrews 13, pick up with me in verse 10. We, speaking of Christians, have an altar from which those who serve in the tent, the tent there, speaking of the old tabernacle. You know, what was in the tabernacle, right? The Ark of the Covenant, that's where God manifests Himself, right? Inside that tent, inside the Holy of Holies, eventually that would become the temple. But we have an altar that's not there. It's not inside of a tent. Because those people that served inside the tent, they have no right to eat from this altar. What altar? Oh, it's going to be a person. Because beforehand, verse 11, the bodies of the animals whose blood was brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they were taken outside and burned outside of the camp. But we don't have that. We're not dealing with that anymore. What do we have? We have Jesus, verse 12. So what happened to Jesus? Oh, He also suffered outside the gate, outside the camp, in order to sanctify, that means to make pure, to make holy, the people through His own blood. Not the blood of a lamb or bulls or goats, but a human being's blood, the perfect God-man. Verse 12, excuse me, 13. Therefore, let us go to Jesus where? we got to go outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. For here on this earth, we have no lasting city. It's all going to pass away. But we seek the city that is to come. Church, what is that city? What is that city? The New Jerusalem, streets of gold, gates of pearl, right? Verse 15, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. That means to identify with Him. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for these sacrifices, such sacrifices, are now pleasing to God. That last phrase is critical. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now that's terminology that the Jews would understand. These former Hebrews that have now given their life to Christ because that was their whole tradition. They came back and forth again and again and again to the temple. And they came in and out offering sacrifices for their sins. I want you to see the temple and I want you to understand, I want you to understand this whole concept. If you look at that picture of the temple compound, you look to the right hand side about 9 o'clock, or excuse me, about 3 o'clock. You see that, that, that thing is an altar. See the fire on it? That thing is huge. And the picture doesn't do it justice. It's huge. Those 12 steps, and that, that's not an accident. Those 12 steps represented the, 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 uh, the, uh, the tribes of of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, they led up to this 30 by 30 square area where they would sacrifice the animals. Those 12 steps took you up 15 feet. Now, if you look inside this room, the ceilings are about 25 feet. So you're going all the way up to about where those windows are and where those sound panels are. That thing is huge. Now, put that in context. Walking up steps that high. 
And these are where the sacrifices were made. Blood everywhere. But understand, we talked about this last week. This is all symbolism. That Old Testament altar pointing to a new covenant. We are not told to have altars any longer because the final blood sacrifice was made by Jesus Himself. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told to go to a physical altar or make a physical altar necessarily inside of our place of meetings. This is the ecclesia. What is that? This is the gathering of the New Testament saints. And so we no longer gather around an altar. We don't bring animals to an altar. An altar represents the old covenant. I want you to see this in verses 10 and 11 again. This is, this is what we mentioned last weekend because I knew we were coming here to verse 10. Watch verse 10. We as Christians have an altar. You say, oh, we do have an altar. Yeah, but it's not a physical one. Watch. From which those who served in the tent, that's under the old system, the tabernacle, they don't have a right to eat of this altar. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the holy place by the high priest of the sacrifice for sin, they were burned outside the camp. What does this mean? It means that the altar is for the Old Testament animal sacrifices. Why? Because we studied this in Hebrews 9 verse 22. Remember this? See the screens. Watch this now. Indeed, under the law, that's under the old covenant, everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sin. What did God do to cover Adam and Eve's sin in the garden? Huh? He killed an animal, right? That was the first bloodshed on earth. He killed, what, what did they cover themselves with? They realized they were naked, right? What did they cover themselves with? Leaves. They decay. They turn brown. They die. You're naked again, right? Okay? And why do we wear clothes? You say, because it's the law. See, I ask people this all the time. Why do human beings wear clothes? If we came from evolution, why aren't the animals wearing clothes? Go to the zoo. Monkeys wearing clothes. Don't see any clothes. Why do we wear clothes? Hey, why do we have a seven-day week? Huh? Where does that come from? Why not a five-day work week? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Right? Work three days and two days off for the weekend. Hey, flip it. Why not just work two days and have three days off for the weekend? Hey, you know, where did this whole seven-day thing come from? You understand it comes from the Garden of Eden? You understand it comes from the creation account? And people can't explain this any other way. We wear clothes to cover our sin. We wear clothes to cover our nakedness. You understand? God killed an animal to cover sin. There was the shedding of blood to cover the sin. If you get me, do this. Just to make sure you're all with me. Okay? Now here, I want you to understand this. This idea of an altar that is, 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 is totally Old Testament. Here's how, here's how Matthew Henry worded um, his commentary on verses 10 and 11. Matthew Henry, old Bible commentator, goes all the way back to the 1700s. Here's what he said about these two verses, 10 and 11. Watch this. The Christian church has its altar, not a physical altar, but a personal one, and that is Christ. Ah, it is Jesus who is both our altar and our sacrifice. This altar provides a feast for true believers. Guess what? The Lord's Supper. Guess what you're going to eat before you leave today? The Lord's Supper. We've got it set up for you right? This is the gospel Passover. 
Here's what Henry said. Those rather who remain faithful to the tabernacle, that's the temple, the Levitical age, all that old covenant stuff, or return to it, uh-oh, they exclude themselves from the privileges of this altar. Who is that? Jesus. The altar today is Jesus. Warren Wiersbe, the commentator who's a contemporary of our day, just died a couple of years ago. Here's what Wiersbe said. He said, quote, a new covenant Christian's altar is Jesus Christ. For it is through Him that we offer our spiritual sacrifices to God. We're not bringing animals inside of a temple anymore. We're not bringing animals to a priest. We may set aside places in our church buildings and call them altars, but they are really not altars in the biblical sense. Why? Because Christ's sacrifice has already been made once for all. And the gifts that we bring to God are acceptable, not because of an earthly altar, but because of a heavenly altar, Jesus Christ. End of quote. So you see, church family, today, Jesus is our altar. Jesus is our sacrifice. And now he tells us to do something just like he did. You know what we're to do with our lives? You know what the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 1? What are we to do? We're to offer ourselves as what? Living sacrifices. See it? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to now present your bodies. We're not bringing a goat. We're not bringing a lamb. We bring ourselves. We're the sacrifice. We offer our lives. We deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. That is what's acceptable to God. And that is your spiritual worship. So I've waited 10 minutes to tell you the title. The title of this morning's message is simply Genuine Worship. We worship not bringing a lamb, not bringing a grain offering, not bringing a goat. We worship when we bring ourselves to the Lord Jesus. We offer up ourselves because you see everything else is just religion. How many ways are there to God? Are you sure? Somebody said one. I thought all roads lead to heaven. You can be a good Buddhist, a good Mormon, huh? a good Muslim. You can be a Sikh. You can be whatever, right? They all lead to, all lead to God. Well, can I ask you something? Then what in the world was Jesus doing on a cross? Huh? What's up with that? I mean, if, if I could just, you know, be a good person and then earn my way into heaven by following some religion, what's this whole Jesus thing? That's an absolute colossal waste. Who is Jesus? He is God. God came to this earth. He is Emmanuel. And he died on a cross. He shed his own blood so that we could call on Him. The way to God is through His Son, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody gets to God except through me. He said that, and He proved it when He got up from the dead. Nobody else can do that. We are here today because of a resurrected Savior. You understand? That's the truth. That is the truth. We'll talk about this next week. You cannot have two diametrically opposed truths and they both be right. Jesus said, I'm the only way. And he is the only way. He proved it when he got up from the dead. He proved he had victory over death. So where does this lead us? Well, see, the, for these Jews, so many of them, they were still struggling. All they had ever known was going to that temple. All they had ever known was putting a rope around a lamb and leading it off to the priest. 
I mean, they were used to it, right? You know, don't you have a custom? How do you do your Sunday morning? And now just, we're going to mess you up next week with a new traffic pattern. and just going to mess you up, okay? Believe me, there'll be cones out there. The security guys will be directing. You don't have to even think about it. Just go where we tell you to go, okay? We want to keep our people safe. But it'll be different, right? And so for these Jews, this is all strange now. You mean I don't have to go to the temple anymore? You mean I don't have to go to the priest anymore? You mean I don't have to smell that burning meat? I, I kind of like smelling that burning meat, right? <laughs> That smelled good. Yeah, we don't burn meat anymore? No. You don't even go there anymore. At all? No. You don't go to the temple anymore. No. We're going to meet in each other's homes now. Okay? And we're going to worship together. And we're going to do this not around an altar now. We're going to do this around a table. See, the Old Testament, they worshiped around an altar. Dead stuff. New covenant, we worship around a table. That's the communion. That's the Lord's Supper. What did the first Christians do? They met in each other's homes, and what did they do? They broke bread. That means they had a meal. They fellowshiped. They prayed, and they studied the Word of God. That's Acts 2.42. That's what they did. So we don't have an altar today that we worship around. We worship around a table, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have communion. The worship is around a table. It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. These Jews, though, that had given their life to Christ, they're, they're trying to come out of this. And the Apostle Paul is going to use one last analogy. We're at the end of this book, and he's going to give one final analogy that they would all understand. And it was the analogy that's brought up for us in verse 11. I want you to see this. Look at verse 11 again. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places. So this is, these are special animals now. By the high priest as a, oh, here we go, as a sacrifice for what? Sin are burned outside the camp. Do you know what this offering is called? They have all kinds of different offerings, ceremonial offerings. This offering being described, the Jew would understand readily. We have no idea what you're talking about. Let me tell you what the name of the offering that they're talking about is, the sin offering. And here's how this worked. For the Levites who lived in the temple and took care of killing all these animals every day and having these, these three times a day sacrifices and so forth and performing all these duties, they had to have a way to live. But they had to work inside the temple, but they had to have food. So here's what happened. You'd bring a lamb. Some of these lambs are allowed to be boiled, and they'd put them in a big pot. And the priest, they had this three-pronged fork. And whatever they drove down into the pot and pulled back up with the three-pronged fork, they got to eat for their bread that day, their bread, their food that day. You understand? Not this offering. The sin offering, nobody touched it. And certainly nobody ate from it. Because here's what happened with the sin offering. The animals that were sacrificed, whose blood would be taken into the holy places, those animals, they would tie a rope around the leg, not even touching the leg of the animal. They would slit the animal's throat by the throat with, with a knife, right? Its blood poured out into a bowl, never touching the animal. They would then carefully tie a rope without touching the animal around the animal's leg and drag it outside of the camp and burn it. Why would they not touch it? Because it represented what? What kind of offering is this? sin. And you don't touch sin. You have nothing to do with sin, right? And some of us are going, no. No, I'm having a whole lot to do with sin right now. 
I'm kind of okay with touching that sin, looking at that sin, thinking about that sin, being involved with that sin. Don't touch it. It'll kill you. They never touched it. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go somewhere even deeper than the holy place. Where would he go? The Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And it's on the top of that Ark of the Covenant that's called the mercy seat. And you know what he would do? Pour out blood. And that blood would represent the covering for the people for another year, making atonement for them, the Day of Atonement, offering that sacrifice. And all of that was a foreshadowing of the final one who would come and offer his own blood so that you and I could come to God. You see how the Old Testament casts these long shadows to Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment, is the reality of the shadows of the Old Testament. Church, Jesus became the sin offering. You understand that? The sin offering that was foreshadowed became Christ. So how do you get that from Scripture? Take a look at the screens. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake He, that's God, made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He was sin. He embodied your sins, my sins, the sin of every human being who would ever live. I want you to watch this now. This is so rich. I want to show you an image of Jerusalem. This is the northwest section of Jerusalem. Behind the walls on this section of Jerusalem are the temple. You see it there rising in white? If you see it, say amen. Outside of the temple, outside of the city gates, at the bottom of the picture, there's a small mound. It's a hill called Calvary. It's Golgotha. That's where Jesus died. Where did he die? Inside the city gates or outside? Outside. You want to know why it was outside? He's the fulfillment of the sin offering. He became sin who knew no sin. Jesus is the sin offering. Now watch this. Can we put the picture back up one more time? Because I want you to get this. We forget the proximity of the temple to Golgotha. 1,500 feet, if you drew a straight line from Calvary to the Holy of Holies, is about 1,500 feet. When Jesus was dying on the cross on that Good Friday, it was on that Passover day, the high priest was inside the Holy of Holies placing blood on the mercy seat while Christ was on Calvary saying, It is finished. And there was an earthquake. And that temple veil that split the people from God was ripped in half. And now we can come to God through Christ, not through religion. And that's the truth. That is the truth. That is the gospel truth. It is the truth that will save a human soul from hell. That's verse 12. Watch it now. So Jesus, see it? 
Hebrews 13, 12, also suffered outside the gate. He had to because he's a sin offering. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here on this earth we have no lasting city, but we seek the city. That's the new Jerusalem that is to come. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, Jesus on the throne. Church, when Jesus died on the cross, Judaism and its purpose for existing ceased. It ceased as a way to God. The way to God today is through not religion, but through Jesus. Not sacrifices made by way of animals in their blood, but by the sacrifice of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So what are we to do? We are not to look to religion. We cannot earn our way to heaven. That's what religion is. Religion is man's way to try to get to God. Christianity is God coming to us. He came to us. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Precious Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I what? Trust him how I've proved him. Or and or. How do we prove him? Watch this now. We go outside the gate just like he did. This podium, the pulpit up here is going to represent the world. I'm coming, you come out of it. You come out of it. Listen, we are not to be part of the system of Satan, which is this world. He's the God of this age. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and he's blinding people to this system of thinking, the world's system. We're to separate ourselves. We are to identify with Jesus. What Hannah did this morning when Hannah was baptized is Hannah identified with Jesus. How? Jesus was baptized, right? What does that mean? You go under the water, baptizo, that means to immerse. If we hold you down long enough, what will happen? Yep, you'll die. Sure will. You need oxygen, okay? That is a tomb of water. You come up out of the water. The old passes away. All things become new. You're raised to a new life. We identify with Christ. Are you, am I, identifying with Christ today? Will we leave the camp? Will we leave the world? It's so hard. It's so hard because we don't want to be different. We want to be like everybody else, especially for our young people. We don't want to be strange. I've done this before. I've asked our young people before to stand up on these chairs. Right? Why? Because this is how you're going to have to live. Young people, listen, you're going to be strange if you live for Jesus in this world. And people are going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Precisely, my dear Watson. There's something gravely wrong with me. I am a Christian, and I am following Jesus, and I am a peculiar person because I love Jesus. It's hard, though, isn't it? Let me tell you something. Wise is the man who walks with the wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Church, we are not to love this world. And that's so hard, isn't it? We live like this is heaven. We really do. We keep, just store up all kinds of stuff for here. Right? 
most of us are more concerned about educating our kids in retirement than we are heaven. It's just, I'm just being honest. I'm talking about myself. Y'all just tag along if you want to. I'm like, Kevin, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You spend so much time about thinking about this place. You're not going to be here forever. Watch this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We are to come outside of the camp. The camp is the world, the world system. Jesus, the last public prayer that he prayed that's recorded is often called his high priestly prayer. It's John chapter 17. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood. And the Apostle John overheard what he was praying, or the Holy Spirit revealed it to him one, I'm not sure. But here's what the Bible says in John chapter 17, verse 15. Here's what Jesus said. He's praying to God, and he says, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Who's the evil one? Satan. They, talking about us as Christians, he even saw us today. He says, these people right here, right now, those that are here, those that are watching, listen, they th that name the name of Jesus. They are not of the world. We're not of this system. Hey, church, we're just pilgrims passing through. This is not our home. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them, verse 17. That means set them apart. How? In the truth. And your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So how does this work? I mean, if this is the world system, I mean, if Jesus sent us into the world, how does this look? I've often described it this way. You know what we're to be? Lifeguards. Lifeguards. Understand this analogy. I'm a lifeguard. This is the swimming pool. Y'all are swimming around having a good old time. So what do I do? Come in with you. How y'all doing? <laughs> Does a lifeguard John swim around in the pool with all the people? Where's a lifeguard supposed to be, Steve? Oh, on my podium up here, on my stand. And what am I to be doing? Watching. Watching. Oh, there's one in trouble. Blowing the whistle. Grab my little deal. In I go. I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. We're to be in the world, but not out of the world. And we bring them out. You see? We're to be in the world, but not out of the world. Jesus did this all the time. He went and had dinner with Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And they found him up in a sycamore tree, right? You know? He didn't hang around with Zacchaeus prior to all that, just, you know, frolicking around with Zacchaeus everywhere. The woman at the well, Samaritan woman, right? He sees her, he, he's, he's, he jumps into this deal, and he, he seeks to bring her to himself. He's speaking of himself as the Messiah. See, we're in and out. We're in and out. We're in and out. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to bear the reproach of Jesus? Jesus died outside. Okay, listen, look at that picture. Jesus, he is the nicest human being who ever lived, and they did that to him. Listen, they do not like Christians. Who? The world system. They crucified Christ. Jesus said this, 
Let not a servant ever think that he is going to be or she above his or her master. Who is our master? Jesus. And they crucified him, the God-man. In heaven right now, Jesus is on the throne. And he's, we were singing about this. Precious Jesus, how I've proved him more and more. He's got these scars, his wrists and his feet. We'll see them for all eternity as we walk the streets of gold with him. What do you mean, how I've proved him more and more? We prove him when we separate ourselves and we look different. Mom and dad, we've got to teach our kids that they're going to look strange when they live for Jesus. Young people, you've got to get okay with being looked at as being peculiar. Because if you live for Christ, you're going in a different direction in the world. We're salmon. How do salmon swim? Upstream, against the current. Oh, but it's so easy to go, oh, this is quicker and faster. and We're fighting it, fighting it. Out. Who goes with us? Jesus. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to equip you, to give you the power, supernatural. But the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you to give you power to live the Christian life. You don't live the Christian life. He does it through you. Jesus does it. Oh, and if, 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 if living the Christian life is a drag on you today, that's because you're doing it in your own strength. If His commands have become burdensome to you, that's because you're doing it in, in your own strength. Just love Jesus. Love Jesus. Will you bear the reproach? Paul told Timothy something very important that we need to remember. 2 Timothy 3.12. This is not a popular verse, but you got to see it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus are going to have it easy. If you live for Jesus, smooth sail. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, those last three words there. What does it say? Tell me. You will be persecuted. Sorry. If you live for Jesus, listen, there's a lot of Christians, they never face any persecution. You want to know why? Because you ain't living for Jesus. You're following the world. You're in the world system. You don't look any different. You don't act any different. You're not standing on a chair. There's nothing peculiar about you. And so people, they're not drawn to Jesus through you. And so many of us, we're a stumbling block. We're a stomach like we're, we're swimming around in the swimming pool with everybody else. We're not even being a lifeguard. You're going to face persecution. But I've come to believe, unfortunately, and I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians who don't want to be identified with Jesus because that will lead to persecution, and so that'll be uncomfortable. That will include ridicule. That will include rejection. That will be, that'll include being maligned and bad things being said about you. You know what the Pharisees called Jesus? They said he was Satan. You know that? Can you fathom that? They said you're part of Bilal. That's another word for Beelzebub. That's another word for Satan. Is that true? Is Jesus Satan? <laughs> the people will say all kinds of rotten things. And so what does that mean? We get mad at the world, shake our fist at the world? No! We, listen, Jesus said you'll love your enemies. I know that's hard, but listen, how do, all, how do lost people act? Lost people act like lost. lost people. Don't expect lost people to be nice. Don't expect, listen, I know a lot of Christians who aren't nice, much less lost people. 
Listen, lost people are going to treat you badly. But then how are we to react? I'm going to get them back. That's what I'm going to do. No. When they see that you're showing kindness in place of their meanness, they'll go, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How do you do that? And you pull them up. And you say, let me tell you about Jesus. But we're going to step out of here first because we've got to go outside the camp. And so if you want to live this way, it's going to be different than everybody else. And you come with me, and I'll show you, and I'll make you a disciple. Isn't that what we're called to do? Go and make disciples of all nations? The Apostle Paul understood ridicule and rejection. And here's what Paul said about this whole deal. Philippians 3, verse 8. Watch this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is lost. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of how much? Everything. And I count them as rubbish. You know what a better word is for that word rubbish? Dung. Dung. In order that I may what? gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the old way, that comes from the law, that comes from going to a temple with a, a, a lamb tied to a rope, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's, that's Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Can I ask you today, everybody look at me just for a second. We're almost done. We're going to have communion. Ready? Ready? Do you know Jesus? If I were to bring you up here and take a microphone, I mean even the 14-year-old that prayed to receive Jesus when you were nine. You've been a Christian for five years. If I were to say this, young lady, sir, would you tell me what Jesus is doing in your life right now? How is Jesus affecting your life? Go. What would you say? Ma'am, sir, adult, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? How is he changing you? What has he done in the last week? What, did he, what has he done in the last month? What is he doing today? See, for so many people, we don't ever talk to Jesus. We don't ever spend time with Jesus. And we're living off of last year or the year before. And so many Christians, they never grow because they're stuck in the world. They won't come out of the world. See, you've got four holes in your head that will affect a lot of what you do. What you talking about? You've got these two holes right here. Those are your ears. You've got these two holes right here. Those are your eyes. And what you put in these and these will so affect what is going on in here. That's your brain. And so many Christians are taking in the garbage of the world instead of being a lifeguard and staying separated out of that stuff. We're not part of that mess. We jump in to go rescue people from that mess. You know, church family, all of this should lead us to be thankful for the final sacrifice that was made. This should lead us to be so thankful for what Jesus did and the fact that He did this for us in the first place. He did that for you. Yes, I know he died for the sin of the world, but he did that for Kevin. He, Dave, he did that for you. For God so loved Dave, he gave his one and only son. For God so loved Sherry. For God so loved Jan and Frida.
For God so loved the Tolbert family, the Nichols family. For God so loved you watching today. He gave, that's what he did. So that you might have life. I want to ask you if you're living for Jesus. Now I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer. You say, do I have to close my eyes? I couldn't care less. I just want you to be reverent. I just don't want you looking around. And so I need you to do something for me. I need you to, if you have your cell phone, stick it under your right thigh. Go. I don't want you to be distracted. Stick your cell phone under your right thigh. Go. Close your Bible. Concentrate. Look at your knees if you have to. See how wrinkled your pants are. That's fine. I want you to concentrate. And I want to ask this question. Are you living for Jesus? Who's in control of your life? There is power in living for Jesus. If you're miserable today and you're struggling, it's because you're living for yourself. And Christians can do that too. You can, you can, you can get your eyes off Jesus and Jesus goes in the trunk and he's kind of like a spare tire. And Jesus, but the problem is Jesus won't be there. He will not be in the trunk. He's either driving the car or he's just, he's out. Doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation if you're a believer, but it just means that Jesus is not going to be a spare tire. He's not going in the trunk. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is struggling. You're, you're, you're struggling in your work. You're struggling at school. You're struggling trying to stand for Jesus, and you're doing it all in your own power. And you're just mad all the time. You're just mad. You're ticked off all the time. And you're even mad at God that he won't make things better for you. And it's just, there's just one word that describes the whole deal, selfish. It's just all turned inward. And Jesus says, call unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Maybe you're here today and you need Jesus. I want to ask, we've got this room in the back called the decision room, okay? And I want to invite you to come back there. I want to have the opportunity to talk to you. Is there somebody here today that says that you finally come to this place, that you're ready to receive Jesus? And now's the time. And you say, Pastor Kevin, I'm ready. And I want to talk to you. And so that I will wait on you. I just want you to raise your hand so I can look at you. Just for a second. Who will raise their hand? Anyone? Anyone? If you're online watching Mount Pleasant anywhere, just type it on the screen. Type it on the screen. I want to know about Jesus. Matthew's back there working the screen. Matthew will talk to you. Anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? You say, today's the day. I want to, I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I trust in Him. How about the Christian today, the Christian today, the Christian today, the one who's struggling? You're struggling in your home. You're struggling in your situation. Would you just lift your hand now, not even to me, to the Lord? Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, tell him. Just tell him. Anybody that's looking around, that's on them. This is between you and the Lord. Have courage. Have courage. And just lift your hand and say, God, I need you. I want you to, I need this in my life. And I'm struggling with this. And I'm tired of struggling. Just tell him. Lift your hand up, put it right back down. Lift your hand up, put it right back down. Go. Lift your hand up, put it right back down. Just tell him. That's fine. Quick. You're not, it's, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do. There are people, I'm, I see the tears. I see, I see the relief coming to faces. I see that relief. Let it go. Let it go. Look to Jesus. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Father in heaven. Thank you for your peace that's sweeping through this room. That peace that passes all understanding. We're not talking about some religious leader. 
We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for the scars that's in your hands and on your feet right now. Look down into this room and look into our weary hearts and pull the weary souls from that miry clay and set their feet on a rock so that they can live in power, not in fear, not in doubt. Restore a marriage sitting here right now. Restore a home. Restore a Christian that's been running, running like the prodigal, eating pig slop. Send them home. And God, you'll run after them, and you'll bring them home. You'll kill the fatted calf. You'll put a robe on their back and a ring on their finger and have a feast, a celebration. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for salvation. I pray for the one today, the maybe many, who need you and need to call on you. I pray they'll do it before they leave. Take a 40-foot walk to a room or type on a computer or type on a phone. I need help. Help me. And we'll help you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.